0: You're listening to the Not for Clicks podcast.
1: Just reel it in. My mother's taking this personally. I just gave an opinion. You can't just character assassinate someone
2: in
3: the media like he has. He's an absolute disgrace. It's like it's like someone saying you've got a really <laughs> ugly girlfriend, but all they've got at home is their right hand and the internet. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: What's happening people? This is the Not For Clicks podcast. We talk about football. We talk about sport. We're not here to be nice. We're not here to be horrible. We're just here to give our honest opinions. I'm Jordan. He's Marvin. He's Ollie, And he is G. Gentlemen, how are we? Keep it brief, please.
3: I'm not bad, Jordan. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank you very much. I'm very well. I
3: thought I'd jump jump in there because last time G said a load of crap. So I thought if I get in there early, then we're not going to have a bad start.
1: That's a fair point. Shooting straight from the hip,
0: already. Yeah, it's a it's a fair point. though. it's a fair point. <laughs> oh, you will?
2: I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Um, I just uh, well, I thought about watching a bit of Afcon today, but I saw it was Burkina Faso versus Mauritania, and I just realised that even I can't, <laughs> even I can't well, good, how for, how how even I can't represent good. for something like
3: that. <laughs>
0: Hang on, oh, before we get to AFCON, um, we were talking also later in the pod for those that uh, want to kind of get a bit nostalgic with the golden years of Syria. And also we'll be going through the documentary, um, The Edge of Everything, when you snooker player. So those into snooker, O'Sullivan or documentaries, hold tight for that. Before we get into AFCON chat, O, oh, I think we want to have a brief chat. There was a Not For Clicks podcast on the weekend, Spurs v. United or United v. Spurs. Um, and I think it's only right we kind of get the two supports of those two clubs' views on the game. Before I come to you and Marvin, G, let's start with you, the neutral here. Is it just me or for a game that had four goals in it, was the game a little bit meh?
1: Yeah, I, I do have to put some emphasis on United for that and Marvel would like it. But I, I just kind of felt they played a little bit like on the wayside at home. Um, I guess you could say it's smart tactics sort of the way that Spurs play generally. But it just came off a little bit cowardly. Like I felt both of their goals felt a little against the run-of-play. I never felt United were fully in control. And, and that's why, even though I guess United were ahead both times, you'd say that Spurs could probably feel a little bit unlucky not to kind of kind of come away
3: with all of the points.
0: Marv, fair assessment.
3: Like the Chelsea fan telling me that we're cowardly and and we didn't like, just shut up, Gene, Shut up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I I wasn't even shooting.
1: That's my honest opinion.
3: I was rubbing my hands because Tottenham's one of the very few teams that play a high line. So I totally get why they'd want to do on the counter because we've got nothing else. You know what I mean? We've got nothing else. So let's see if we can just get people behind a high line, right? So it's not about cowardly. There was a tactic there. And then last but no means least. Who the hell is G to come to my door about how a football team plays? Like, who is he? Last oh. I've been watching Middlesbrough. He was giving it the big one. They got packed out, right? And, I was, and G was right. The one thing I'll say about G, he was right. I was watching. They were dog. They were terrible. And then he comes and goes, oh, a bit cowardly, blah, blah. We packed you out as well, G. We packed you out as well. So, just, just reel it in.
1: I've, I've got well, to say. I'm not taking to say, this personally. I just gave an opinion.
0: I, I, hang on. Before, before I come to you, Ollie, I've got to say, G, the fact that you lost to United this season means that you have to really tepper any criticism that you have against United this year because they are awful. It
1: is. I might
3: as well just leave the pub then. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Do you know what it is, George? It's like it's like someone saying you got a really ugly girlfriend, but all they've got at home is their right hand and the internet. Do you know what I'm saying? Hey, some like, some uh, some girlfriends would
1: rather have the internet. <laughs> to
3: like, you might as well have gone to O first because o has got skin in the game. For him to sit there and tell me that my team was cowardly, like, ridiculous. Oh, Do you knew
2: no, what you no, were no. doing. Oh, oh, oh when they, they cowardly, oh. I, I think they were cowardly. They're at home. <laughs> this is the point I was making. This is the point that Marv got so upset about. United were cowardly. They, it was disgusting to see United, you know, basically basically circling the wagons and saying, we're not going to come forward. We're just going to wait for you to make a mistake. That's just, to me, I just think that is just, for a team of Man United stature, for a team that considers themselves as... One of the top sides in this country, and I know they're not going through a good a good spell at the moment, but still, it's Man United. They're at home to 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 come out to walk out of their tunnel to come onto their pitch and then play like play like you know seriously. I would expect I expect Everton to play like that under Sean Dyche. I wouldn't expect Man United to play. That. It's a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace to watch Man United playing like that, and. I never said for a moment that Spurs should have won 10 nil or whatever. We, Marv, Marv's got completely the wrong end of the stick. I never said Spurs should have won the game. I said, given the fact that Spurs were the only team trying to play, they should have won that game. And United, they shouldn't have got caught out by two goals that I thought could have been avoided. Yes, when Ratchford and Hoyland got their chances, they took them well. But that's not the point, Marv. The point was Spurs allowed you to get into a position where you could score those goals. That was what I was trying to say.
3: Yeah, for for a team not playing well, I think we're in the bottom five for goals scored. We scored two goals, and I think we, I think we could have won it at the death as well, right? Like I think a draw is fair. I'm not saying United should have rumped it, but there's this narrative that's annoying where it's like against Tottenham they played really poorly. Like United have been playing poorly all season. We've got no structure, like Tottenham was just the next kink in the road for a team that's really out of sorts. So don't make this about Tottenham being unlucky, just make it as United just scrimping and, 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 no, no, and, and sort to, of I, clawing believe to, me, to try I'm and not get say, the end of the season.
2: Believe me, I'm not saying Tottenham were unlucky. They weren't unlucky because they gave away you two said, stupid goals. You said they gave you away should two have won the game. Goals. We should have won the game. But they gave away two stupid goals. So if you give away two stupid goals, do you deserve to win the game? What I'm saying is, given given the balance of the play, look, you shouldn't be con- conceding a goal in the first three minutes. That's that's the first thing. You shouldn't then be conceding to Rashford's goal when you've you've dominated the game and you've just fought your way back in to get to back to 1-1. That shouldn't be happening. Spurs concede too many soft goals. That's my point.
0: No, but I'm going to assume, Oli, that the fan base and look, we're going into kind of football fans podcast territory here now. So we'll just keep it brief here. But I'm going to assume the Spurs fans are getting excited because they're looking at it like, yes, United are in the mess, right? United have not been good all season at home, but to get a 2-2 draw, which is what I think they at least deserved, without their best best three attackers, first choice midfield, that looks quite comforting, albeit against weak opposition. I understand they're not playing much, but do you not kind of share the sentiment that it's looking, if you can do that at Old Trafford with that team, imagine when all your players come
3: back. Joel, can I interrupt here for a second? Are we just going to ignore the fact that United have been missing players all season? Because this narrative of other injuries... No, no I don't care is... about that, Malv. No one cares no, about No, I care because players. he's sure. he's saying the you thing are missing
2: something. No one cares about you missing players, Malv why can you you can't you can't say that when we've had we had how many players out who were either injured or playing in the AFCON or playing in the Asia Cup we've got loads of players away who aren't available you, that's not an excuse you, you've
3: you've got about five starters out and we've got about three starters out big whoop do you know what I'm saying who are, we, who are your
0: three starters Marv
3: sure yeah. yeah why are you screwing up your face who you're going, yeah, like he's not a starter. No, I said, yeah. Who else? Mart- Martinez, who came off the yeah. bench. Yeah. And Casemiro.
0: Marvin. They're missing Son, Madison. And who's the third attacker that wasn't there? There was a third attacker. Kulusevski. Kulusevski. <laughs> plus
2: there's no, first uh, choice midfield. Plus, That's yeah. a big plus, difference. Plus Pissouma and Saar. And
3: yeah. you, what you're talking about is, oh, Oli, you're unlucky. Like, United have been unlucky all season. But the narrative that you... And other fans are like, United do, are terrible. Do, do,
0: do, do you rate Shaw, Marvin?
3: Shaw is probably, if not in the top three, most important players we have at Man United. Guaranteed. And Did any rate, Man United fan that you says, yeah, of course I rate him. I rate him of any player you've got, G. I no, no, that's that's any that's player that's you've got. Chelsea at the
0: bar. Chelsea's not the bar. Forget Chelsea. Do you no, rate he's, him? He's,
3: no, no, he's asking me, do I rate him? I've just said he's a no, top forget... three player. Of course no, I rate him. No, I, Don't try him and to... put words in my mouth. But, <laughs> but do my you my... rate him? Like I'm swerving the question. My, my, my yes, the answer is yes. So I rate him. I rate him. Mom is triggered.
1: I'm triggered because you,
3: a Chelsea fan, is coming to my door like you're yeah, sitting G, just sitting top you him? Let me tell relax. you. Let me tell you what I didn't rate when G we were with Cucarella as cover. That was embarrassing. Oh, yeah. G, George, go home, man. Go home. Oh, G, 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 G relax.
0: G relax. 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 You know what? Let's move on. To your,
2: right, to your, um, to, to, just quickly, George, to your point on, before we move on, um, it's it's becoming a thing for Spurs now. Where it's not just about Man United. You've got to look at the fact that we've been to, uh, you know, three of yeah, yeah, three of last season's top four now. Yeah, Arsenal and we've drawn, City. We've drawn. To, we've drawn both. Get all three of those games: City, mm. Arsenal. And uh, and United the other day. You've also lost and five on the bounce. Yeah, there are there are points at which you can look at all of those games and say we could have won that. We could have won that. You can't keep saying, "Oh well, we could have won that. We could have won that." Walking away and saying, "Well, you know, if only um, we didn't give away soft goals. We're giving away mm. soft goals in these games every time." That's my point. It's not really all about right, United.
0: Be... It's about the fact that we give away. Yeah, soft no, goals. I, I hear you. I hear you, I hear you. M- all right, more, let's move on to... More
1: reason why United were shook and they should have put it on them. All right, <laughs> we, we know what you're doing now. We know what you're doing. Just,
0: <laughs> just relax. It's a long pod. It's a long pod. It's a long pod. Um, also, let's move on now to to, to AFCON. Um, Oli, mentioned it earlier on. Have you guys been watching it? And more importantly, have you guys been enjoying it? Because I think most tournaments, the first week is often a bit, a bit meh. Um, I think Met is being quite kind, but am I being, am I being a bit harsh? Um, G, you start.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to try and put the positive spin because I know you guys are going to, you guys are going to go in. <laughs> so no, it hasn't, it's been, it's been a really slow start. In fact, it's been a poor start. Uh, I guess my, I mean, my highlights have been Cape um, Verde's last minute winner against Ghana um, just for the, for the Ghana-Nigeria uh, rivalry there. Um also, I enjoyed Algeria's first half performance, but then they kind of fell apart. I think the only team that has really, like, performed to kind of standards has been um, Senegal. And, um, I mean, Lamina Kamara, like, that's a contender for the goal of the tournament already. Um, but generally speaking, no, it's been quite slow. But I'll wait for the pylon. I'll let the other guys kind of kind of come in and tell you how bad it's been.
0: Let me go to you, Oli, next then, because I've, I've watched most games, not all games, admittedly, I just think some of the goalkeeping to start with, it's like, it's so, so bad. And I watched the games I've seen. It's not only goals that have been conceded, but just goals that haven't gone in. But I'm just like, bro, what are you doing? Am I being, I've seen some good goals scored. I've seen some good goals scored, to be fair, but I've also seen some shockers go in. Again, am I being, am I just being a bit negative?
2: Well, it's not just the goalkeeping, is it? We, it's, it's long been spoken about that the defending, um, from from the African side isn't great as well, and you have to admit it's true. It's some of the defending is is really bad, um, but yeah, you know, it's just the games. The games just aren't what I would love to see. And I think I remember saying this the same at the same point um, with the last African uh, Nations Tournament um, that it would just be so much better if um, you you had. Really strong or the leagues that were developing in Africa and they found their own way of playing because I just feel that there's so many of the, the AFCON nations who are playing a kind of a really dour European style and it doesn't, you know, that's not how you develop your game. You know, all of these managers are not, they're not come playing in, to their strengths, you know, they're not playing to their strengths. You know, Chris Huton's a manager of Ghana and I love Chrissy Hutton, you know, he's an experts man and I got a lot of love for him. But at the same time, Ghana, Ghana need, Ghana kind of need to have their own guy there. They need to, you know, that's what, look what Senegal are doing with their own guy running, running the show. I know they've got good players and stuff, but you know, they're, I think that's what we need to see from Afcon. I would love to see African nations with strongies. I looked through the squads the other day, actually. And, uh, one of the only nations i think has got a lot of their players playing in their own country is egypt when you get past egypt most of the players are playing in europe and all around the world and i think until um you know we see more afcon nations playing you know with the players at least at the very least starting out playing in africa with in in you know decent leagues then we're not going to see an afcon that you get a sense of these these nations that have got their own style. And what we've got at the moment is something that is like a really, a really dour version of, of, of the Euros where most teams are playing a certain style and it's not, it's not, it's not very interesting. Oh, to be honest, I'm sorry, but I'd, I'd like to, I'd love to represent, but it's just not, it's not for now, me.
1: I think what you're saying, Oli, Oli is true. And, the the development about the leagues is something that's long overdue. But I think even when, when the AFCON was like at its best, like in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, there were still no leagues there, but I think it was like, kind of like what made the AFCON exciting was kind of like the naivety of the teams. Right. So everything was like attacking. People were really expressive, like the Akotchas, the Adebay Peles of this world. And I think like, in an attempt to try to be like, like you said, more European or more structured, they've kind of lost a little bit of that, and it's become a little bit more boring and regimental. It's kind of like the like a worse version of the Nations League at the moment, if that makes sense. But but you know we'll see we'll see how how it gets when it gets to knockouts and the teams get a little bit more desperate.
0: Apart from um, apart from uh, Ghana's defeat, shock defeat, the big story at Afcon has been um, Andre Nana who flew out in a private jet after his 2-2 draw with United to Ivory Coast to find out that the reports came out today that he's not been included in the squad. And there's a video that's gone viral where you can see him having to be calmed down by Jouf about um, not being included in the squad. I, I, I don't know. I'll get, I will get. want to hear your take, Marv. But I think he's been mad disrespectful to the whole tournament, In in my opinion. Um I know G's got some thoughts on it as well, but as a United fan, do you see any responsibility on him leaving late with United or is it solely on on Andre Anana?
3: I mean ultimately George, I wanted him to go sooner. <laughs> 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 Got like a, a Turkish goalkeeper, and I've heard he's half decent in training. And no one can tell me that Onana's like got me ten extra points this season. In fact, I'd argue Onana not got me out of Europe before Christmas. Right? So, so I wanted him to go sooner, and that's no disrespect to Onana. But if you look at it, it just out, it's no disrespect. Level. It's no disrespect. You <laughs> could have be more disrespectful. On a personal level right? That's a man that's yet to prove his value to Manchester United fans. So you can understand him trying to get maximum minutes because he wants to keep the person that I want to see out of the team. And we've only got one or two other games in this month, right? So I'm not angry at him for trying to cling on to his position because, like me, I think other Man United fans are keen to see if we've got something else that can give us a no,
0: but No, but so so to cut you there, but surely if this other keeper keeps two or three clean sheets in the time that he's away, he ain't going to stay in goal. Onana's spot is not, he's not been good. I agree. It
3: it depends how well he does, George. It depends how well he does. And it it depends how long Onana's really away, how far they get in the competition. Like, I don't, like, to ask you a question, I digress a little bit, but to ask you a question, I think if Onana's going to come to Man United and say, look, I can stay a bit longer, I've spoken to the the team and I can stay a bit longer. United's not going to go, no, go. Like, put some put some respect on the Afcon's name. I don't think an African person's ever even worked in the back office at United. So I I, I can't blame United for that. It's an Anana decision. And let's be honest, when Anana signed, he had come retired on, from Marf, international Marf,
2: football. Marv, yeah. come on.
0: They asked him to stay. They asked him to stay,
1: 100%. No, they, they didn't. Stay. Stay- well, He's they hard, did. hard,
0: no, but even, hard, if, hard even hard if they did, stay. Oli... Even if they did, Oli, st- I don't put the blame on United at all. I think this is on a nana. If you're a Nana, you want to represent your country at your continent's premier football tournament. <laughs> why is what Man United saying stopping you from doing that? I know he's got a beef with the management because of tactics and stuff. I get that, but either you want to be there or you don't. To rock up, the tournament started four or five days ago, Oli. <laughs> no, it's not just <laughs> it's, it's not just that, Joe.
2: It's not just that, but the, the the rest of the squads have been training for the last yeah. couple of weeks. It's not like I you just rock boring. up for. It's not like you just rock up for the tournament it's the, the day it starts. You've got it's to go bad. off to the no, training camp I, first. Can we
3: just can we can we just make sure we're on the same page, right? When United signed Onana, Onana had no intention of going to the AFCON. Onana had retired from international football, so I think because he's decided to go back, he might have said, "Look, I know you thought I wasn't going. I'm going. I'm going to go later." Like I think he's done it. And United haven't forced him to go. At the moment, I've seen no evidence to say to suggest that United have asked him to stay. So hold on, I reckon United. Hold on, 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 let me get it straight. Let
2: me get it straight. So he, so he, he retired from international football. And whose decision was it for him to come back?
3: They recalled him. They must have had a conversation, and he decided he'd play for them again. But that's nothing to do with United, right?
2: Right. So he, he made he made a call to come back into it. Right. He they asked him to come back. He didn't say to them, listen, actually, I want to play.
0: Well, There was, there was an agreement. They probably asked him. As Marv said, there's probably a discussion. They came to an agreement. And then from there, cool, I'll play for you again.
2: Right, okay. So he's made a call to say, I'll play for you again. You can't then turn around and say, I'll play for you again. But actually, I'm just going to play for my club until the, the day before your first game in the AFCON.
0: Well, this, this is a, why I played him. On the same
2: day. Flying. That's nonsense, Marv. You can't do that. You're either in or you're not in. You can't be no, like, one, have half a foot in and
3: you're like... Hold oh, on. Why, why you on. are you coming I to them. my door? His hey, question, yeah. question was whether it's a Manchester United decision. Yeah. I've said no. Was it yeah. a Nana decision? Yes. Was There's it disrespectful here. of O'Nana? <laughs> yes. Do I give a damn? No. I wanted him to go.
0: So what's the problem? <laughs> so let's get, let's get some clarity here. Oli and G, I thought your position was you were blaming United... For him going late. Okay, can, can I, I, me and I, I can't, can, can I I can't, can't believe. I
2: can't. I can't believe for a moment that United didn't ask him to stay. Yeah, hundred, just, even if they did, though. But even even
1: if they did, yeah, yeah, he's so yeah, yeah. But he, what? Well, I guess the point is, George. He's primarily responsible. I don't think anyone would deny that. But United, even asking that question, has a level of disrespect for the tournament. You can't uh, see and, that.
2: And, and, for in, and for international football, generally. Yeah, 100%. And let's be honest, United have form with this. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, right back to Ferguson. They don't have any respect for it. It's just like... You're well, thinking of Man- Ryan Giggs, aren't you? This is just, oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> I think so, yeah. And, you know, it's just that thing of, well, you know, this is Man United. Man is more important. Who? What's more important to you, Man United or playing for your country? And yeah. I think that's fair. That's fair. I can't lie. I'll say that
3: gave me goosebumps. Like I, I have some... to
2: say to you that, that, you know, they got formed with that, Jude. And I just think mm. that Man United would have Man United would have said, and 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 I can imagine Ten Hag went to him and said, listen, I'm fucked here. I'm fucked here. You know, <laughs> I'm in real trouble. Andre, I'm in real trouble here. Sorry for my language Yeah, but I need your help, yeah. I need I need to get through the next few games, yeah. The new the new guys come into town. I need to get through the next few games. I need you here. Don't let me down, yeah. I brought you to this club, don't Uh, let me down.
1: Jaden's already let me down. I need you. (laughs) You know that's
0: you
2: you know that's what's been
0: said. You know that.
2: He this guy, this guy's fighting for his life at Man United.
0: Let's keep it moving. I want to just personally shout out, first of all, three guys that I work with, friends of mine, that have gone out to Afcon to cover it for British and African outlets. Miles, Tony, and Kweku. They do a pod. They do a um, platform called Content Club. So go check it out on Instagram. They're doing some great work. They're getting good interviews with some people out there as well. Um, to them You want to shout
3: them, them out. Much. I feel sorry for them.
0: <laughs> Shut up, man. I'm just giving them a little big up. They're doing some good work out there. <laughs> but man, they deserve the big up, but
3: they, I'm sure they'd like to see some good football as well, Jordan. And at the moment, I don't think they're oh, seeing yeah, it. Yeah.
0: True that, true that, true that. All right. Let's, um, let's get on to now our, our next topic, guys. Let's talk about a documentary. that. Because on this podcast, we'll be looking at film, documentaries, maybe a book. Um, um, akin to to different types of sports, and we agree we're going to start off with the documentary, The Edge of Everything, which is a documentary on the snooker player Ronnie O'Sullivan, seven-time world champion. Um, and I'll I'll get to in a second, but someone that's heralded as one of the Britain's greatest ever sports, uh, people. Um, Marv, let me start with you. What did you make of the documentary? Um. And what did you learn from, from, doc- I don't know how much you knew about O'Sullivan before documentary, but what did you make of it?
3: So George, when I was younger, my dad watched a lot of snooker, right? And the John Parrott, the Steve Davis, the Higgins of this world. And I i was a big fan. I was like a fan of Ronnie O'Sullivan because when I was watching it, he was a bit younger than the rest of them. And actually the documentary, I can't lie to you at first, I thought, what have I signed up for here, right? I was, I was thinking, hey, this is really depressing and B, not that entertaining. It just seemed like a man fighting his demons in the darkness, right? But actually, as it went on, I think it really humanised and brought to life the fact, like, the mental anguish that a lot of these sports people are going through, and I actually quite enjoyed it by the end of it.
0: Um, Oh, what did you make of the documentary?
3: Um, Well, um, I
2: actually actually thought it was a good insight into his mindset. I mean, but at the same time, it's it's amazing how he's kind of prepared throughout the documentary to kind of um, to to put away some of the players on the circuit that he playing against. In some respects, I was impressed with it. I mean, there are some similarities because it's made by um, David Beckham's company, isn't it? So there's some similarities that I saw with that and the Beckham doc. Um, in the way that they've gone about it. But I, I, you know, I kind of, I was kind of, I, I liked it from the beginning, really. I thought that <clears throat> it was interesting when you know that Ronnie's story is kind of so, um, kind of um, sort of the, the main thing about the uh, his backstory is about his dad being, you know, uh, put away and in the prison. And I think that that comes across of how much that affected him. Um, but I don't think that's the only reason that he kind of is the way he is. I think he's generally that way entirely. You know, his dad kind of alludes to that as well. Um, that even when he's winning, there's something, he kind of feels like there's something missing. So, yeah, I, you know, I but I do think that there's kind of a real interest in the fact that this is what players or, you know, people at the top of their game like him and, it reminds me of someone like Djokovic as well in the tennis, where you know a lot of people have issues with him or think that he's kind of a bit too abrasive, and I think that O'Sullivan has the same sort of uh, you know it's it, it, they're complex characters basically, and I think that part of their makeup is that they need to they need to have this thing where they kind of set them apart from themselves apart from everyone else to which gives them the edge to become the the champions that they are and i think that came across well in the course of the, the documentary
0: agree G?
1: um i honestly I, I, I it was a tough watch for me um <laughs> did, 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 did did it. Really enjoy it. Um, Gee, this
3: is where you say that you can. You can do a one four. No no no, 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 no,
1: no. <laughs> I want to be really clear. Actually, I, snooker is a, is a is a sport that I respect, I and mean, I've played it at a pretty low level, and I was bad. So I respect it. It's a good sport. Is snooker Just a sport? For, yeah, yeah. I think it's a sport.
3: G, is it the fact that anything that you haven't played, you don't respect? <laughs> <laughs> when you, you say "look," uh, hang
0: on, hang on. When you say "low level" as well, do you just mean in the pub with your mates?
3: Y- yeah, like, They're talking like a semi-pro no, that, or that, something. That, that, that's <laughs> not. That's not a low level. That's no level.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I was quite. I was quite good. But yeah, I, I respect Snooker. I respect. I, I respect Paul. So there's no. There's no problems. With, it's, it's it's not it's not Throwing pins into a wall. It's it's a sport. Yeah. So, so that's, that's there. But
0: so, no, so, think... so, so, sorry. So, so, on that point, G, I'll stick with you. So, in the documentary, um, I forget which uh, contributor, so which guest says it, but he talks about snooker being like obviously a sport and rating it and talks about the art of snooker and it's about mathematics and angles. And when you talk about it and think about it in those terms, is that what makes you? recognize it as a sport it's not just putting balls in a hole it is it is about angles and it is about maths
1: oh absolutely definitely and there is an element of of strategy to it as well in terms of like you know when you put certain balls down and and I think there is just like um like you're out there for a long time as well like it takes a lot of concentration um so the mental side of it I think is a is very underrated so yeah I, I definitely do think it is a sport. And um, yeah. You know what? I think with
2: snooker, one of the hardest parts of any sport is in snooker where, you know, when you've hit, you know, you we've all played snooker, I don't know, out when we are out. At a whatever, low level. Yeah, and At a low level, yeah. And there's nothing worse than when you've hit a bad shot and then you're watching the next person cleaning up the, the you know, cleaning up the table. And I watch those guys and they're watching and we talk, as you say, gee, we're playing a low level, but watching those guys when you're seeing someone clean up the table, hitting 100 break or something and you're seeing the game slip away or a frame slip away. And I I think that must be one of the hardest things mentally to deal with, that you can't affect the game. In football, you know, even if you're having a bad game, you can put a tackle in, you can do something. But when you're actually sitting there and someone's making a break and they've really, you know, they've really got their claws into you, it must be the hardest thing to just sit there and watch it. There's times where... I think, too, if you if a game's really slipping away from you or a match is really slipping away from you, the temptation just walk out of the auditorium and say, I'm done. I'm done. This is but Ronnie,
3: but Ronnie, But Ronnie's done did, that, right? He did that, <laughs> yeah. Sod this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, it, it did definitely humanize it for me. Not Snooker or Ronnie, but just the fact that I, in particular, just look at people. He made a comment like when he's getting old, people go, he's lost it, he's finished. I've definitely been that person where. I feel like I don't talk about sports people as sports people. They're more things, right? Oh, he's 35. He must be done. And it it, it made me quite self-reflective of, like, mental health is real for everyone. But a sports person, sometimes I've been like, well, they've got, they can be mentally ill with millions of pounds in the bag. you know what I mean? Get over it. Like, other people got proper problems. But it doesn't matter where you are in life, how successful you are those demons will, will, will follow you. Um, so that was what my takeaway. Now, Jules, please don't say anything about Deli Ali's interview. You did that last <laughs> Right? Um, and then the last, the last point that they glossed over, right, was like, his dad was blatantly a criminal. Right? Like, yes, like, I'm, glad, it, it, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad it wasn't, you said that. It wasn't like he just got into a pub dust up, and, and inadvertently killed someone. Like that person was affiliated with the craze. He had a load of sex shops in Soho. They made it seem like, oh, unlucky. He killed someone by accident. Yes, 100%. This guy was cl- clearly a criminal. 100%. And that, it, it, it was just because it was Rodney's thing. He opened the doors. They didn't want to go too hard on, on, on that that bit of his life, right?
0: I, I agree. Um, G- Gabriel, uh, and I'll ask all three of you this. In the documentary, Stephen Hendry, who some regard as the greatest player, many think O'Sullivan, but some are Team Hendry, He says. That the final, I think it was a Masters, maybe 15 years ago, where O'Sullivan beat him, and he got a 147. I think with his left hand as well. He says that he thinks that is the hardest thing to do in any sport.
1: Do All you right. agree? No, we're gonna now we're gonna get into it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> because I, I laughed at it at first, G, and then I I don't think it is, but when I really thought about it, that is really, really, really hard to do. That's not like a, a simple thing to do.
1: So a one four seven on your weaker hand is uh, no. Nah, it's not the hardest thing to. It's not the hardest. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. I'm sorry. It's not. So, sorry, oh. Stephen. <laughs>
2: um. Well, it's I I I not understand G why you're not kind of. I mean that's pretty it's incredible that he can he can play he can play equally as well with both hands. Is yeah. I mean, but that's the hardest thing to do right? in
1: any sport. To hit a 147.
0: It's up there. It's up
2: to there. Clear, the hardest the ta- thing to do in any sport. He cleared the whole table, G. It doesn't happen that
1: often. But... <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to see the bad guy again, so I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> it's,
3: it's, 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 not, it's not about being the bad guy, but when Henry's saying it, obviously one of the best to ever do it, being in the sport, he's going he has no foresight of other hard things to do in other sports, right? Like, he's he's in it. He knows how difficult it is for him to do it, and he's one of the best that ever did it, right? But I, I actually just don't think sports are comparable. Mm, like, that's... snooker, individual man sitting down, playing another, not man, but person, and a, a, a team winning the World Cup who only were in it because, you know, they're Greece, for instance. Like, there, there's, there's, there's different ways to look at it. But I respect it. In fact, I, I thought it was weird that Ronnie O'Sullivan would do it with his weaker hand. I thought that was a bit disrespectful, to be <laughs> honest. Like, try, try and win it with your best hand, mate. There's a tournament at stake. Um, but overall, I, and I think that's one of the points of the doc that I like, um, George, that he had quite a range of people, mm. right? From <clears throat> Damian Hurst to to Hendry. I think he had one of the... One of the Ronnie, Ronnie Wood. Yeah, Ronnie Wood. That was interesting. I'd have loved to have seen his family a bit more. Like, you he saw a bit of his significant other who was trying to, like, have a conversation well, didn't, with him.
2: Didn't, didn't you think that was interesting, though, Marv, that so much of it was him on his own? I mean, it's a lonely existence, isn't it? You know, just yeah, going and doing these tournaments. The
3: where where he was lying down and, like, on a pillow, like, you know, when it was just, like, it generally was, like, him and his thoughts sort of thing, wasn't it?
0: yeah. Okay, I, I, I thought I thought it was mildly interesting. Um, <laughs> what? No, no, I'm just, being, I'm just being honest. I didn't think I didn't think it was great, but I didn't think it was as bad as you
1: think it was. G, not, it was a, it was a decent watch. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah. if if I had to give it, because the thing is, it was like it's like two hours, right?
0: Yeah,
1: but but well, I, kind, half, hour half. Hour, I like I kind of felt like to go to any type of depth, you would have to have gone longer but I was already at pains that how long it was already. It's like, I just didn't like for something that was supposed to be so, um, you know, so introspective. I felt he could have gone a lot deeper, like, you know, the the lads have mentioned already, like with his family and stuff. But overall, and maybe this kind of goes back to the the kind of the discussions. I was hoping, I, I, I was hoping for a sports documentary. I didn't want another therapy session. And maybe that's kind of where why where I didn't enjoy it. I don't. That's
0: I, fair. That's fair. That's
1: and fair. For, for my perspective, I, I similar to Marv, I used to watch snooker for a little while when I when I was younger and kind of fell out of it around the time that when he was rising. So I really wanted to know about his story, how he rose. Maybe like a few like tournaments, like quarterfinal here, semi final here, the build up yeah, yeah, in the yeah. way that like the Jordan documentary did, for instance. Mm, but mm. I just kind of felt like it was like. He got to a final, he won it, he's holding the trophy and the next minute he's lying down in the dark room and he's upset again. Uh,
0: finally and briefly, Ollie, um again, he's mentioned in the documentary, he's one of the greatest athletes of this country's produced. Would you have him in the top five British sportsmen of all time?
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, if we are calling it a sport, then yeah, he's up there. I think he's, I mean, I'm a, I'm a I have to admit, I'm a great, I'm a big Ronnie fan. I think he's, I think he's box office, um, and watching the Masters at the weekend, it was incredible watching him. Well, not just him. I've got to give Ali Carter some some uh, some kind of respect as well. I thought that whereas before, when we all grew up watching snooker, a frame of snooker could go on for ages. You know what I mean? You could go on for a long time. These guys were just going through these frames like it was it was quick. You know what I mean? It was like. These frames didn't take any time at all. And normally the game was finished or the frame was finished with one visit from one or the other um, uh, player. They were finishing it with one visit. And then when it got closer and closer to the end, then you saw them making more mistakes, getting a bit nervy, and it would take a couple of visits to the table before someone got full control of the frame. But certainly watching the game now, and Ronnie O'Sullivan has been what you what you're looking for with any sport is how someone kind of takes a sport and bends it to the way that they play and bends it into you know a version of what they've what they've done and that's certainly what he's done with snooker snooker is snooker is a much better game for having Ronnie O'Sullivan because he's made it more exciting he's made it a, 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 a sport that isn't you know that you don't have the, the, the sort of guys in it anymore who are just going to take ages to take one shot. And yeah, so I think he's well up there as one of the top sportsmen we got in this country.
0: Okay, let's give it a rating, guys. We're going to give it a rating out of five. And I'm going to come up with three criteria of which you judge this documentary. We'll do it for all docs that we judge and then we'll come to consensus as a team. The three categories are going to be engagement. So how engaged in documentary were you? from a technical production point of view. So how it was short, how it was edited, you know, all those sorts of things from a technical point of view. And I guess the third category would be, would you watch it again? Six months, two years, whenever, but would, would you watch it? Would, would it, would you, would you go back and watch it again? Um, start with you, Gabriel.
1: Oh man. Did, Out of based, on, both, based on those questions, like, cause I, I definitely would not watched it again. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I think it was? Did, <laughs> did I think it was? Te- did I think it was technically well done? Um, I, I'd give that about a two out of five. Um, and what was the first question? Sorry.
0: Uh, engagement. What, so, how engagement. engaged were you in the documentary? Whether it was funny, whether it was you learned something, whether the person carried it well, how engaged were you?
1: Uh, I, I'm just going to give it a two out of five overall.
0: Overall, two out of five.
1: Yeah, for okay. those three, oh. making
2: those, the three points. Mm-hmm. Wow, two out of five. Um, so um, I would say that, um, you know, I would watch it again, actually. There's little bits of it that I kind of would like to to kind of mull over a bit more, actually. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would say I'd watch it again. Um, uh, so... Yeah, I I'd, I'd probably yeah, I probably give that. So, is it four? I've got to give a mark for the for whoever I see. No, no, no again, just one, yeah? just
0: one mark, just one mark out of five, but based on those three criteria.
2: All right, I see. So, okay, I would say I would give it. Yeah, I'd give it a. I give it. I give, give it a three and a half. Can I give it a half? No, we,
0: don't, we don't do half. We, we, we don't. do halves. No, 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 half. Three then. Three. No I give we'll it three. Be. Okay. Three out of five. All
1: right. See, one one way in a way, not that much difference. <laughs>
0: no, but it's out of five. So actually, you know, the, between three and four is quite a difference when you sorry, two and three is a big difference. Um I'll give it a three as well. I'd give it a three as well. Um I wouldn't be rushing back to watch it again, but I thought as a as a documentary, I thought it was well produced. Um and I was I was pretty much engaged throughout the whole the whole documentary, so I'll give it a three. Um we'll get Marvin's rating when he sorts his bloody internet out um so what, what's that on average then out of the three of us what's that looks like a three is that a three i think that's a three out of five for the documentary um and i really want to know if anybody listening or watching this any recommendations for sports documentaries that we should be checking out we should be watching um let us know in the comments if you're watching on youtube let us know uh on our instagram our twitter page as well we'll we'll try and get a list together of documentaries to watch okay let's keep it moving now let's talk about. The glory is of Serie A. Let's have some fun. Let's have some fun with with, with Italian football at its finest. Right. To do this, I want to take back some of our younger listeners to the golden era of Sundays. When on a Sunday morning in my household, I was woken up to the smell of plantain, breadfruit, bit of beans, bit of soul, reggae, funk music. Had to come down for breakfast, do my chores had to hoover the whole house, stairs included. And then once you finished the chores, you then heard the omnibus of EastEnders coming on. Remember, remember, remember EastEnders, omnibus? For those who don't know, that was when they showed all three episodes of the week in one sitting on a Sunday. That would finish about three o'clock. Nah, no, man, it's like 20 years ago. It stopped that, Oli, man.
1: <laughs> not to why, but even I know that.
0: Um, get to three o'clock and you know what time it is. You turn on channel four. Go! let oh! Oh, 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 oh. Big time do, theme do, tune. Tell G. Tell G. Iconic. Man like Jimmy Richardson in his, little, in his little white suit. Legs crossed. Posh little latte in one hand. Newspaper in the other hand. Outside a fancy bar in Rome. And you knew what time it was, man. Piacenza versus Inter, Inter. Napoli versus Foggia. What are they called? Not Foggia what are they called? Yeah,
1: Fogger. Yeah Fogger. Fogger, yeah.
0: Fogger yeah. yeah. Fogger, yeah. Big games, man. The golden era of Italian football. So I thought let's have a little bit of fun and kind of revisit that. And what I want to start off by asking you, G, is we're talking like 95, 96. you You'll say maybe just me. That decade to to 2005. Do you think it's fair to say that that was, of our lifetimes, the best era of football? Superstar players, competitive, you know, teams doing it in Europe, big boy managers. Or am I just being a bit too nostalgic there?
1: No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, maybe there is a little bit of nostalgia. Obviously, my, my first World Cup that I watched properly was 94. Watched a little bit of Italian ninety So, though so that's kind of really when I was just, despite popular, popular belief, that's when I really <laughs> yeah, so, started some, going. Some would question that, but we'll <laughs> so, move on, we'll move so on. So that was really when I started, really started getting into football. But I also think football in the, in that era was more about expression and technical ability. It wasn't so much about athleticism, which it is now. So you could have someone like a uh, Georgie Hadji, who was maybe a little bit overweight, but because his because he had the technique, a little bit. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice, you know. <laughs> but because he had the technique, he he could play. And I think I I just remember whether it was the World Cup, whether it was watching Serie A, I, there were, it just felt like any team I watched had at least one player that I'd want to watch. And if I compare that to mm. now, there were a lot mm. of teams who I I could couldn't give a damn if I never watched them again. You know what mm. I mean? Like every, every team had at least one player who could do something special. And and yeah, so for me, that is definitely my favourite area of football.
0: And Oli, I know you're, you're a little bit older than us, so you, you may definitely kind of question whether that was the, the best golden period of any league in Europe. But as G says there, one of the things that I loved about uh, the Scudetto and the, 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 the Serie A in those years was that not every team, but the majority of teams all had a player you wanted to watch. And just going through some of the players I was writing down earlier on, Signori, Baggio, um, uh, Paluca, Lombardo, Ronaldo, Salas, Verón, Cannavaro, Batistuta, uh, Crespo, Izagi, Mancini, Zidane, Ferrara, Boxic, Neved. Like, it, it just seemed like the league was just littered with, with, with players that if they weren't world-class, they were like one tier down from world-class. Um, what are your memories of of that kind of decade in particular, and Serie A. you forgetting Del Piero and Zidane? Listen, I could have, I could have filled. I said to Dan, I could have filled four, four books, um, Ollie. So I, I just or a flavour of some of the superstar players from from that era. But yeah, you know, I, I think that they. Um, it, well, it was certainly
2: a, a a great moment in in terms of uh, watching football because at that time, uh, especially when it started, I think it started kind of uh the season that uh Paul Gascoigne went oh, after yeah, yeah, um, that World
0: Cup and
2: and so yeah and so um you know it was it was it, it, Italian football Serie A at that time was the, the the dominant league in Europe and everyone who was anyone was playing there the all the top managers were there as well although they had a fair amount of Italian managers which is kind of Different from what we see in the Premier League these days, they had a lot of managers from from you know homegrown managers. But um, but yeah, no, it was it was a great league and it was it was great to watch. And because the Prem came on st- stream and Sky took over that, and a lot of people got kind of disenfranchised at that time. I think a lot of people gravitated towards Football Italia to watch that because you know it was their it was their weekly hit of live football. And so you know. Um, a lot of people became Italian football fans instead of watching the Prem and had to get by on watching highlights. But yeah, that that Juventus team of the mid nineties with Ravanelli and, and Crazy Viali and Del Piero and Baggio for a time as well. And as I say, Zidane and Edgar Davids, Didier Deschamps. I mean Conte. That was fantastic. Yeah, Conte. All of those guys were great. And they, you know, they had some real battles as well. I remember, you know, when I was watching it, some real battles when, as you mentioned, Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo was at Inter. Mm. Uh, and then there was that kind of, I remember that controversy, that season where uh, yes. they didn't, you know, there were a couple of dodgy decisions in the game between Inter and yeah. Juve at, yeah. at, at, at Juve's ground. Uh, when Juve went on to win the title. But um, but yeah, there were some really, really big battles between them. And you know, even at the beginning, you saw the, the the sort of fag end of the of that great Milan team as well with Van Basten and Rijkaard mm-hmm. and Hullet. I think Hullet might have put past, moved on by then, but you still had Van Basten there. But you know, um, he kind of started to get hampered by injuries. But certainly, uh, I, I that just early, that. I came in, in just that early, after that yeah. Milan in that team. early part, it was kind of you had you, Van Basten was still there, and then uh, Saki moved on, and then Capello took over, um, and then that team was brilliant as well because you know he took over and and turned them into a different beast. But they were a great, they were a great side. AC Milan, you know, in the early nineties under Capello, um, mm. uh, you know, Simone up front. I remember they had him up front, and they still had that defense as well. Uh, with Brazzi and maldini and and Costa, Costa Curta. it was a fantastic team, so yeah you know it was it was a great it was great times to watch you know, and it really did give you a sense of not just watching the games, but James Richardson was just so good in terms of kind of giving you a bit of the history of of different clubs and different parts of Italy and really kind of giving you a sense of the culture, not just about the football but the culture of the country and how they kind of watched and viewed football. It was a brilliant time actually. And um, it's it's sad because I don't think we've ever had anything like that ever since, you know, cause James Richardson's style where it was kind of, you know, he was kind of doing it with a nod and a wink. And mm. it was it was funny. It was kind of, you know, it was irreverent. It wasn't just watching football And just giving you the information. It was kind of giving you, you know, giving you a smile and telling you stuff in a way that made you laugh and gave you something to remember after the game had been and gone. So, uh, you know, I think that that was a a great time to watch football. Um, And unfortunately, it's never been repeated.
0: No, I'll come to you now, Marvin, as well. But one of the things I loved about Serie A in those years as well was that it felt like, it was really competitive in terms of there were four or five teams could win the league. There were maybe 10 teams that could finish in European spots. And just going back to G's earlier point, 15 of the 20 teams had a player that I wanted to watch. Do you know, even the lower teams had someone that was like, yeah, let's, let's check him out. I don't know if you had an Italian team because in my school, we all had an Italian team as well as our, our English team. Mine was Sampdoria. What did you, did you have Italian team? Oh I yeah, remember. mine
3: mine was Inter. Inter with my team because of R9. I loved them. And I and I think that's why I'm so negative about football today, George Cause those days, like when you were reminiscing about the East Enders Omnibus, and the beauty of it is we didn't all have sky that young. So <laughs> to get to get free TV on Channel 4 was pretty serious. And Inter were the nearly team. Juve were like the do- dominant one, and mm. they finally got over the line. So I loved Inter and as a result, I had to hate AC like I had to like that was just part of the runnings. Although I respected them, and I always liked um, who was it? Boban for Milan. I thought he was like a, a beautiful player, but but um, between R nine and the workhorse of like Zanetti, R and Vinter, Rakoba came in a bit later. Like that that was my team. And I think you're right. I think now football's all systems and structure rather than individual characters that got you excited. Like, I don't think I get excited about footballers individually as much anymore. Um, and maybe it's just like, people will tell me, I'm sure. I think it's just my age. I love the fact that you said I was a bit older. Come on, it's significant. It's significant. Um, and I know he'll he'll remember a lot more than me, but... Yeah, that was that was my that was my favorite era, and I think what's interesting, Jules, what you said is there wasn't actually as many European spots to go around back then, so good people missed out. But it was UEFA, which was good fun as well. Yeah. Um, but Inter was my team. R nine is my was my guy. He still is my guy. You know, that's how I judge you as a as a football fan. If I say who's the best player of all time, and you say Ronaldo or Messi it means you, you weren't about in the glory days as far as I'm mm. concerned. Do you know what I mean? I, I hear it. Do you, do, you
2: think, do you think that was... Sorry, sorry George, I just want to ask. Do you think that was his best period, Ronaldo, no. Inter?
3: No, I, I don't think it was his best period, but it was my biggest connection with him because I was so into the Italian football. Does that make sense? So him at La Liga, Real Madrid, or before that at Barca... I, I didn't see as much as him, but I tuned in, like if Inter was the game of choice, I tuned in to see him. And you know, he had that, those, those flip-flap moves in the UEFA Cup final and stuff like that. That was my connection with him. I think he had like more successful eras, but that was me and him back then.
0: Uh, G, I never forget the episode of, of Football Italia where uh, James was on and he, he didn't break the news, but he was talking about the fact that Ronaldo was supposed to go to Lazio. People that people forget that. A deal was done to go to Lazio and Lazio dropped the they fumbled the bag at the last minute and then and then Inter came in and stole. And I just remember being really excited about because I didn't know much about Ronaldo at that point because I didn't really watch um uh the Spanish league at, at them time. So mm. I didn't really know much about this guy and the internet wasn't a big thing for me then, couldn't afford it. Um What's so him about? coming to yeah, we are about <laughs> fair enough, yeah. <laughs> um, so just the kind of little things that Oli talks about with the way that James Richardson presented that programme. And it wasn't just football. This was Super Sunday for me before Super Sunday. It wasn't just football, it was so much more than, like I said, Fiorentina versus Roma. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: No, it was it was perfect. Wherever they went, they would always find the little nice little calf in there, talk about the history of the area and stuff like that, and then go through all of the players, and it was It was educational from a purely holistic perspective. Can Mm -hmm. I give one episode that I didn't like though? It was when Gazza joined Lazio. That whole weekend just became, it was was like player cam before player cam existed. I remember the commentator being like, come on, Gazza, show us what you can do. I was like, oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Aside from that, it was perfection.
0: It it was sick. It was sick. I mean, we, we might do one on um, La Liga as well, because I think La Liga has got a definite claim to, for far generation as well, a claim to be, you know, the best decade of. Because there was there was you know there were some big players that were that were you know passing through um, La Liga in the in the late nineties and definitely for the noughties as well. Let, let's let's move let's move on. We've got a couple more to get through. Let's talk about um, a couple of players very briefly that made the news this week. Let's start with Sancho. Um, Gabriel, Jalen Sancho, a hype, or just walked into a bit of a shit show.
1: I, I feel, I feel like a hype. Um, uh, what were he? What the numbers that you know at youth level he did he was exceptionally well, and the numbers that he put up at Dortmund were great as well. But we've seen people go to the German league and, and put great numbers up of not been able to come and reproduce those over in Europe. Um, I also just don't. Like, I don't get the big discord. Like, I, for me, I think if, you're, if your manager says you're not performing in training, that's a subjective opinion. I can't see how your manager saying you're not performing in training has got to this stage. And, and Marv is probably going to disagree with me. And I'm, and I'm, But from the outside looking in and, and Marv will know more deals, it looks like he's been indulged quite a bit. And he's never performed for United. So to be indulged to that level, and then to get one call out, which is an opinion in my opinion, it's not the worst opinion. I mean, compared to what Troy Deeney said, you know what I mean? It's, a, it's absolutely a minor, just to say, I think he's not performed in training and to come to all of this. I think he has to take a look at himself.
0: is uh, he's, he's, he's well, still a player at your club. Do you think he was done dirty, or do you think he just needs to take more responsibility for his his failings?
3: So for me, George, it's less about Sancho as a player, right? I admit fully that Sancho has not performed for Manchester United and he has been a bit of a disappointment in regards to what I thought he would bring to the team. I thought he'd be perfect for the team. I got it wrong. It hasn't worked out. I guess ultimately my bigger issue is the fact that particularly Manchester United fans have lapped up the media agenda that this guy has terrible timekeeping, terrible trainer... And, you know, Haag, that's Haag, you know, showing his authority. Haag started the season poorly after everyone thought that we'd, we'd have a good season after finishing uh, fourth last season. And I think Hag has picked a scapegoat in Jaden Sancho. And I hear Man United fans constantly going, you know, Haag cared, he sent him away to Holland and train and all of that stuff. We don't know that Jaden Sancho wanted that. What we might think, I might hazard a guess and say, he didn't, but he kept his head down and did as he was told and didn't come out and say anything. This whole narrative of, you know, get your head down and, and keep checking on is, is what people should do. And people are already giving me the examples of Maguire kept his head down, wan kept his head down and got back into the squad. They got back into the squad because Man United had serious gaps that they needed to fill, right? You're telling me if we had fully fit centre-backs, whether Maguire got back into the squad because he got his head down. The narrative of Jaden Sancho stinks, right? The media has concocted or have made sure we've heard every intricate detail of how badly this person trains, and there's also this narrative that Manchester United have done have this excellent training regime. It's definitely not carrying across to the pitch, and I'm just not having it. I wish him the best of luck. I hope he does really well at Dortmund. I'm hoping he waits hard out and comes back and lights it up. Even if he doesn't, as long as hard goes, I'm happy. But I just want people to just take a second and realise that everything that we've seen and heard about Jaden Sancho has been force-fed by the media. And let's also not forget that Man United hired a load of um, journalists to be to run their PR engine who have, who have done a blinder to the fact that we have uh, loaned out a £375,000 a week investment to Dortmund. He gets back straight back into Champions League football. He seems happy there, and I think we need to Man United fans in particular just need to admit that there's a, a level of toxicity in the club, and Jaden San, Sancho has been the main um, person that's really had to had to deal with that toxic environment that we're currently in. Yeah,
1: the All thing right, with cool. your your theory, Marv, is a lot of it is reading between the lines, like the assumption that he didn't want to go.
3: Well, no, gi- George, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. That I'm right. But what I'm saying is the club have said his head wasn't right, he needed to get away, and he went and got away. And as a result, people are going that the club cares about Jaden so much and we've tried to look after his mental health. If Jaden was that weak mentally, G, would Hog then say he's a terrible trainer and leave him out of the squad? Or would Hog is- would would, Haag, would Haag have covered for him and made up an injury, something that that clubs do all the time? And the other narrative that just really gets to me is like people say, he didn't just slag him off. He was asked a question. You're telling me that question wasn't a plant? You're telling me there wasn't bigger things to worry about? The fact that Man United went to Arsenal and got packed out? I'm not having it. And you're right, I am reading behind, between the lines because I don't think the lines have been fair for a long time.
0: All right, Marvin, big up. Thank you for that now. Let's stick
3: with you, Marvin. What time is it now, Marv? Yeah, George, our new segment. What you talking about, Willis? all right <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't get the reference you don't get the reference but we're gonna give we're gonna talk about a certain thing that one of us have said this scene this week and we're gonna give out the willis of the week right so it might be something funny it might be something outlandish it might be something ridiculous but what you talking about so that's the section
0: okay so talk us through Marv. what's 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 the willis of the week that you have yeah. picked out
3: for us this week uh, the Willis of the week has to be
0: Troy Deeney this week. So for those that haven't heard, uh, Troy Deeney, he has his first managerial job uh, at Forest Green Rovers. Um, really happy for him. I've met Troy a few times, interviewed him a couple of times. Uh, I like him. Uh, if He comes across quite well. So Troy Deeney, he lost one of his first games now the weekend to Harrogate. And he basically called out the whole team. Wasn't having it. Wasn't happy with how they performed. Uh, he was quoted as calling them as babies. There's, there's too many babies in the squad. And he's dug out one of his one of his players, Fancati Darbo, uh, for what he said was uh, a really, really, really poor performance. He's gone in, done an interview with what I believe was the in-house press team post-match. And he just batted him. <laughs> he just batted him. He's quoted as saying that he felt that, uh, that Darbo had a chance of going to the Premier League a few months ago, whereas now he wouldn't even get a kick um, for a team in the current league that they're playing in, um, and it's been criticised because he's been very public, very vocal, very scathing. He did say he'd spoken to the player in front of the team before he'd done he'd gone public, um, and he has since apologised not for what he said, but for going public. Um, but I'm assuming Marvin that you're not having this approach. In in managing, it's a very old school style of managing from a very new school. Do you know what manager. Jude?
3: I took this approach on football manager and championship manager all the time, and I got sacked all the time. <laughs> right, my play, my players lost faith in me, and they did. This is, you know, this reminds me of what's the um, what's the whole manager that sat him down on the pitch that time? What was it? Feel uh, oh,
0: something? Was it feel yes. something? Oh, what was his name? Phil, Phil Brown. Brown. Phil Brown.
3: Yeah, what I think Troy thinks he can do is treat people how he was treated. The game has changed. And I just think it was such a bad call so early on into his managerial career. He did try and pull it back and say he was running rings around them before. But I just thought, just pick your words better and just be more respectful. You can say that a player hasn't played great, but he was like, he's been off it for six, seven weeks. It was just a Utter assassination for no reason.
0: Yeah, he's battered him. Uh, G, Oli, start with you, G. Do you have any thoughts about whether, you know, he may be uncomfortable in the point that I'm comfortable here, they've they've brought me in. If this is gonna if you're gonna bring me in, this is how I manage, deal with it or not. Or do you think, do you agree with Marvin that it's a ticking time bomb to get in sacked if you if you approach
1: your criticism in this way? Oh, uh, it's definitely a ticking time bomb. And you know, the thing that I didn't like about it the most was that um when someone asked him the question, like, hey, like, should you, do you, you think it's advisable to be calling out your players like this? And he goes, well, the fans are calling me out, so therefore I can call out the players. And I just thought, "You like, you don't do it for that. If you're going to call someone out and you really want to call them out, call them out because they're not doing well. Not to kind of take the heat off your own back. And that's what it kind of came off. And especially for a guy who kind of was, it's one of his most famous lines is about people having cojones. Like, have the cojones to come out and own the fact, that you lost and you're responsible as the manager rather than you know p- you know pick out this he, he poor did, guy he
0: did say he did say that though he did say you know i'm the manager i take responsibility but is he not within his rights then to say individual players that but,
1: performed but I, I think warning. when you when you talk so much about one individual player you know you could say well yeah, it's my responsibility i'm the manager but blah 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 about this player it, it does it it doesn't sit right i i I like I like Troy as well, and I and like I hope he does well, but I don't think he's come off well in in, in this exchange at all.
0: Uh, finally, Ollie, the quote was he has not been good enough for eight or nine weeks. Why do you think he was dropped at the start? I've just told him in front of everyone six months ago that kid had a kick to go to the Premier League. Now he would not get a game in the National League. So is it me or is it him? He's faster than everyone, but he gets run every game. He never makes a tackle, and every time the ball comes to him, it looks like he's kicked. Like he's kicked it with his shin pads. Um, <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> that, that was a bit funny. Yeah. Like, I, thought, I thought the
3: fact that he was Premier League ready was a bit strong as well. Maybe league, maybe championship, but not Premier League ready. <laughs>
0: oh, what's your thoughts?
2: Um, it's just it's so outrageous that I just can't I can't understand how he thinks that that is in any way okay. I mean, you know, I started I started a new gig recently, and they sat me down pretty early on and they made me do one of these online courses about bullying and harassment, yeah? <laughs> you can't, you, you know, and all of the stuff that I've, all of the stuff that i watched on this online thing, yeah, was basically what, what Troy Deedy's just done. It's just incredible. It's incredible that he thinks, well, I've just read, I've just looked on the, on the BBC website, right, to see he's basically come out and apologised, yeah? He said, My emotions can get the better of... His emotions get the better of him. Really, Troy? It's like... He's just... I don't apologise for what I said. Just I apologise that it was said in public. You're not quite getting this, are you, Troy?
3: It's just... It's like... It's like, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry everyone else heard it, but I I meant it. I
2: mean, how on earth does he (laughs) think that he's going to get the respect of those players in the dressing room after this? It's just... It's incredible, really. I mean, honestly... The guy I don't know what he, he I assume he's done his badges and all the rest of it, but it's not just about doing your badges, is it? You need to be able to deal with people. You need to be able to manage people. And that is a skill. It's not just about doing badges. You can't just you can't just character assassinate someone in the media like he has. It's an absolute disgrace. And let's be clear about this as well. If this was a white manager and he'd said that about a black player, we would all be looking at it and thinking, what's going on there? Do you know what I mean? We would want to know what is going on. He can't... He can't... He shouldn't be... He shouldn't be... He shouldn't be singling out a black guy like that for criticism in the media. I just think that is honestly i can't believe that he thinks that that is in any way okay and to come out and apologize and say well it's all right i just shouldn't have done it in the pub in the public sphere no troy no you shouldn't be doing
0: it at all just to conclude so for me my thinking was i mean how bad could he have been like how he's he's talking like the guy gave four own goals got sent off two. like how bad could the guy have been but Listen, we'll, we'll, he's apologized, like you said, and and he's been off.
3: If he's it. been off it for for weeks, why have you been picking him every time?
0: Yeah, there's there's, there's that as well. There's that as well. Um, listen, uh, oh, Marv, gee, it was fun. Let's do it again, same time next week. Uh, check us out across all the socials: Instagram, Twitter. We're also on YouTube. Give us a follow if you want. Spread the word if you want. If you don't want to do it. It's all good. Either. Good, all good as well. Um, we'll see you next week. Peace.